This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. The Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Relentless Boats, custom aluminum, aluminum fabrication, right out of Thibodeau. Everything you would expect from a, in terms of features and designs from a custom boat builder, right down on the Southern Louisiana Marsh. So live relentless, boat relentless, relentlessboatsla.com. Kyler, what's up? Not much, man. Just uh, working, getting prepped up for for the rut here soon and and um starting to see some good deer action and movement and having a good time in the woods how about you not a whole lot has happened really since um since we last recorded last week um as it's been talked about numerous occasions on this podcast i do almost all of my louisiana based hunting right here in east feliciana parish where I live, and I guess for an update of sorts, I went, I've been out and about, and I haven't checked cameras or done really any kind of recon, scouting of any kind, um, other than just making a few hunts, in a couple of weeks, and I spent the weekend in Mississippi, so when I came home Sunday, I had a spot that I wanted to hang a stand which is always, you know, kind of dicey in the middle of the season and basically for this area, kind of the rut. And so I got... Hanging a stand is dicey? Well, going... Well, in my situation, going into an area where 
so my my approach is to be very uh stealthy for lack of a better way to put it i stay out of places until i'm hunting them i try to prep early and stay out of them and hunt them at the right times and so occasionally when this happens and i identify a spot that's not very far away from where i have other spots set that i want to hunt i uh I wait for the right day, and I slip in there very quietly, middle of the day. And in this case, I got the rain and the wind that I needed on Sunday, and I went in there in the rain and hung the stand just to try to eliminate or minimize my intrusion into the area because, obviously, I'm going to turn around and start hunting it immediately, and I want to try to get in there and hang the stand and be as least uh, disruptive as I can because, obviously, I'm expecting this to be a spot where with the rut getting going, there's going to be bucks moving through there and in the area, and I don't want to blow them out. So I got what I needed Sunday, so I went and hung a stand. And I and I checked all of my cameras while I was um, in there moving around midday. And so I guess I can say that in the two weeks that I had not checked any cameras or anything, I have quite a quite a notable increase in deer activity and speaking specifically to bucks several new bucks that i've never seen before and a lot of deer in the daylight following does i have pictures of deer fighting i have pictures of deer bumping does around all hours of the day and night so i would say and also found a lot of fresh sign on the ground uh, ground scrapes and with the rain and stuff a lot of buck tracks and so the bucks are obviously moving here like area four the part of area four i'm in is east feliciana parish bluff creek um uh i have not hunted but a time or two and i haven't really seen anything from the stand but what i've seen you know just out doing those things would say that the rut is there and then i also am a member of the area four deer hunters group on facebook so i don't ever post on there but i follow along i'm seeing a lot of a lot of bucks being shot over the last week or so in area four. So I think that that typical Thanksgiving, early December rut that we get in this part of the state is holding true on the calendar. So that's about the only update I have of anything since we last talked. I got you, man. Well, um, I had a, uh, had a eventful weekend. I shot a very mature buck on public land. Um, for, uh, first, First animal from the ground, mm-hmm. not, you know, first deer, first buck, first everything from the ground. Um, and I had kind of earlier in the season, I had, uh, I, I don't really like make these hard, fast rules or, or um, goals. Like I, I'm usually not too verbal with goals. Like, oh, I'm going to, you know, lose 25 pounds this year or I'm going to kill a deer from the ground. I'm, I like crosses my mind i'm like yeah I'll, I'll do that when the time's right like i'll get on that and then i don't really think about it too much well the time was right because i was really late to the stand and i got set up on the ground at 408 p.m and um hunted a, that transition line that uh, along the swamp in the oak flat that i'd mentioned a few times in the past and um had a doe come by at about 4:35, and um <clears throat> didn't come by like like walk by like was pushed to me and then um hung out about 40 yards south of me and she was you know as i was would find out in just a few minutes she was running from a buck um a very mature large six point 
um, that was 17 inches inside spread. Um, I don't know what he weighed because I had to, we had to literally pack him out. Um, like, um, like me, uh, I'm, I'm bouncing all over the story here. So l- let me, let me back up. If you want to know the full, like, 10 minute detail story then go to louisiana bowhunter community i posted a video crazy story about this buck and my target buck um uh, kind of fighting together in a sense and um but i shot this bucket at 38 yards i had him at 35 yards um sorry had my pin set to 35 yards I shot him at 38 and i hit really low really low and the only thing the only update that i have from the story from the video i posted in the lbh community and now is i know why i shot low Uh, i figured it out two days later when i went to go hunt again um and the reason why was because uh, this this isn't a a knock on pse or anything i think it just was a uh, it's just a loose bolt but the um the carbon rod that kind of holds the cable pulleys where your cables are pulled out of the like pulled to the side of your arrow um that rod the bolt had loosened and that rod had turned inwards towards the arrow and um like i'm talking like three quarters of an inch inwards like done a full 180 pretty much and um to the point where my fletchings were hitting the cables when you would shoot and i did not realize it until i went to go knock an arrow two days later after this hunt. Um, and so that reduced the poundage of my bow and it, it, it caused the fletchings to hit. And so at 38 yards, I hit like six inches low. And the thing that was so odd about that shot for me was, you know, last year I was a, a, a fumbling mess of, of a deer hunter. I was making bad shots and not taking my time and target panic and, you know, um, uh, jerking the, the trigger and all that stuff. And I can tell you with absolute clarity that I had my shit together when this deer was on the ground walking at 38 yards from me. Like I was in control. I I knew exactly where I needed needed him to step. I knew the yardage. I knew exactly where to put it. And I had it right behind the shoulder. And when I hit, I hit him in his, hit him in his brisket, um, way low. And I was at eye level with him. Um, and, um, so I found out days later that that cable rod had, rotated and it um kind of pulled my cables back into the path of my arrow my fletching and that just changed the point of impact on my bow and i I got that fixed and it's all fine it was just a i think it was just loose from the factory um but anyway um so i make that shot i hit him low i don't get a full pass through because um right where i hit him is where like the sternum and all of the cartilage where the ribs come together in his chest he was i know for a fact he was over 200 he might have been 220 220 plus and um that arrow hit that cartilage and um it actually redirected upwards so what was odd when i found him the next day the entrance is lower than the exit the exit was up in the um the uh, um armpit 
front left armpit and it, it had kind of like hit his front left leg. And that's one of the reasons why the arrow stopped because it hit him in his, in his bone and his front left leg. Um, but it had already exited out of his chest cavity before it did that. And that cartilage in his chest kind of knocked the arrow upwards. And ultimately the only reason this deer died was because I barely clipped the bottom of his heart. Um, and, uh, got very lucky, but I, I had good blood backed out it's a really crazy story about this other deer named claw y'all should go watch that video on the community page i don't, won't tell the whole story again but found him the next day um right like a couple of minutes after first light i, I hunted for, <laughs> i had this delusional thought that i was going to go in there and make a hunt in the morning and shoot claw that morning and try and drag both of them out somehow and then 10 minutes into first light i was like f this i, I gotta go look I, and so i went and went and looked for him and um i found him about 150 yards from where i shot him and he was laying in the water in the swamp and he was stiff as a board and cold all the way through um cold cold like his guts were cold every every when i field dressed him he was cold to the the core and so he had been dead for a long long time by the time i found him um and and him dying in the water like that is about a foot and a half deep where he was chilled him down pretty fast and um and got him out that next day and kind of an interesting interesting haul out it was not possible to move that deer i got i drug him about 80 yards through the swamp and um and just gave up i was like this isn't possible i have 720 yards to go and it just took me 30 minutes to drag him 80 yards like this isn't this isn't going to work. So I got a buddy. He came and met me out there. We ended up packing him out, um, the two of us, and uh, carried out his hands and his shoulders and his backstrap and, backstrap and his antlers and and left everything else for the, the vultures and the water bugs. So um, really cool deer. Harmon aged him at six and a half. I, I posted a video of the teeth and um, uh, the jawbone and, and, and to a couple other places and everybody says he's between four and a half and six and a half but he was a very large deer probably he was he was the biggest deer i've ever killed largest body deer i've ever killed um but uh yeah. pretty pumped about that one man yeah. just the season for the old big yep. ones to be on their feet so yeah well, congratulations on yep. that yep. um thank you so uh I, I, the only thing i'll say before we we move on to our 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 guest and our topic for this this episode is i told everybody at the conclusion of last week's podcast i kind of gave a little update about the forecast and just kind of a prediction that it was going to be a great weekend and i'm gonna blame it on the moon phase because that's what i think it was but i was wrong and if you took my advice and you had as little activity as i did then i'm sorry because <laughs> I told I everybody, I didn't really four, see any much kill this weekend. I I, I kind of said at the end of the podcast that everybody should take a second to shoot their bow a little bit and get get ready because it was going to be a eventful weekend. I thought the deer were really going to move, and the deer really did move at night. From from mm-hmm. what I saw driving around on the roads Friday and Saturday night, as well as what I saw on the cameras, I checked at my camp. Um, the deer movement I, I am like i said i'm putting it on the moon phase still you know coming off that full moon i think that that the uh, deer were moving maybe midday people might might say that they saw deer moving some midday but um 
and and obviously I'm just one person, but from what I experienced, I was wrong in my um uh, my uh prediction. But nevertheless, uh hopefully we are having better weather, so hopefully things will, will pick up. So Sure. Um so what we're gonna do today is we have uh Matt Armstrong from Predator Bikes and Predator is a e-bike company and i'm sure that most of you that are listening have at least heard of this new uh fairly new to the market um i don't want to call it a trend but this this new product of of e-bikes which are basically electric mountain bikes um a quiet and efficient uh way to get in and out of the woods without disturbing things and making a big ruckus and we're going to talk to him about his company and about e-bikes in general and, and get his feedback on, on how they can be a tool to be used by bow hunters and outdoorsmen and all that. Before we do that, remind you about Scree Gear. That's S-K-R-E, performance-based layering system. They're continuing to sell off all of the mountain stealth pattern at 30%, so it's a great time if you've considered performance gear or you're already wearing Scree and you have some mountain stealth and you want to get some more pieces before it's all gone. Um that's a big 30% off everything Mountain Stealth, as well as other deals that they are running throughout the holiday season. And there is a big, exciting new thing that you're going to find out more about in January. And Scree is very excited about that. Big move for the company as it continues to grow. So check them out, ScreeGear.com. That's S-K-R-E Gear.com. So bringing in our guest now, he's listened to us long enough. Matt, how's it going, man? Man, I'm doing great. So, Kyler tells me that he has some experience with your product, <laughs> and yeah. uh, that that kind of led him to um, thinking that, hey, you know, these things are becoming more popular, especially for a lot of guys. Like, you know, when you think about bow hunters, I think that it's kind of commonplace to consider that most bow hunters uh, put a lot more effort into being stealthy and a lot more of, of that kind of effort into how they hunt. So e-bikes plays right into that. So he thought, let's 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 talk to Matt on the podcast and let's let's have let's get his some of his opinions about the new e-bike revolution, so to speak. And so mm-hmm. uh, interested to find out more about your company, what all you guys offer. Well, I tell you, you know, the e-bikes as a whole, uh, if you think about it, everything that we buy as a hunter is to, for us to gain some kind of an advantage, whether it's on our species or whether it's on our buddies. And uh, the Predator bike, the e-bike is no different. Um, every, any, The less education you give that mature buck, the better off you are. So going in, checking cameras, um, going in, setting stands up, in and out of, you know, exiting, enter, entering hunt stands. Um, all those things are advantages. It's, I mean, it's silent going in. It's not leaving a, a gas fume or something like an ATV would do. Um, it's just, it's over the, you know, I started this a few years back and really it came, I was in the market for one is what this all came about. And I started looking around and I saw some of my competitors now and the price on them was a little bit, overwhelming when I first looked at it and I was like, whoo, goodness. So I've got a uh, 20 plus year background in manufacturing uh, overseas, all throughout the United States, all, m- multiple countries. 
and I decided to kind of focus on maybe making my own product, and uh, it's evolved from there for you know, about three and a half years now. I've actually built my product, released the first model. This year, I released two new models. I've got some new models coming out next year already, so it's uh, gained a lot of traction. Also, one of the things that I've noticed when I first started this was um, the, I guess the more experienced bow hunters by age uh, were the ones that were really the ones that were purchasing the product. And with a lot of the federal lands throughout the nation and a lot of the states going and where the public lands are now allowing these bikes to get on there, uh, the younger generations are starting to pick up and see the advantage of having this bike to access properties and go back in these public lands. Just like Tyler was talking about, you go back, you know, eight, ten miles back in a property. Well, you can do that in 15 minutes instead of three hours. It's quite an advantage. Uh, Scent-wise, everything, all, you, all the advantages you need to be successful for hunting, it helps with, so. Absolutely. Well, um, sir, how, where are you located, Matt? We are based in Madison County uh, on Nissan Parkway in, in Mississippi. Um, Gosh, so you're a southern, southern base company. There you go. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually was born in Louisiana, uh, lived in Mississippi, lived in Florida, lived in Alabama, so I'm pretty much a southern guy myself, and uh, most of my experience in the hunting world and all that's based around this, and that's what this product was kind of developed for, is this, this region. Um, so, so you say you've been, um, you've been developing and, and, and uh, kind of refining your project for, product for the last few years. What kind of, what kind of changes have um, you made with them from the first models that you, you started with to what you're selling and offering now? Well, I tell you, so the, one of the things that I wanted to do before I brought it to market was uh, I took it from a concept, essentially, of looking at the other bikes in the market, making the frame, sourcing the parts. I mean, we use Shimano parts and Pector brakes and stuff that's very common in the industry. But source the parts. I actually had uh, several different models made for me brought them out here, tested them for over a year uh, on the terrain, you know, charging them in the weather conditions, all the stuff that I knew that we would experience in this market. I tested them for over a year, and I made changes as things happened, as, you know, as seats, a seat broke or a bolt came loose or the chain came off or any of those things. So I continuously improved them for a year and a half before I actually went to full production. Um the first model I came out with was really focused on a price point, and that's was kind of the biggest barrier to entry for me, knowing that some of these competitors had some bikes out there, and I'm sure they're quality machines, but they're pretty expensive. Uh, and with a lot of people that didn't have a lot of knowledge in the industry to put $5,800 or something into an electric bike, it's it quite a major purchase. So. I came in with a price point issue, uh, so I'm not sacrificing quality. I just don't have the marketing budget that some of these larger companies have. So I'm able to come in with a, a quality product, still have all the uh, hydraulic disc brakes, the larger batteries, the, the Fang motor, which is one of the top of the line motors, um, 
and I took that model uh, last year, ran through the season with it, sold it, and then I created two more, really more from feedback from the guys and you know from the hunters that had purchased the, the bikes the previous year. Uh, I, you know, I called a bunch of them, asked for their feedback, see what needed to be improved, with the, you know, kind of hear what the market was asking for, and then I improved with a, I guess a, a bigger battery, which gives you a little bit more range. Also increased uh, the motor. So there's about two different models, one with a little larger motor, which it's not so much the range, it's the load. So if you're pulling things, like you're hunting on public land and you're pulling things back in there, your bow, your pack, your stands, it helps with that aspect of it. And also it helps with a person that's larger in the weight department. So 250, 260 pound person, it's fine with. So, Like Tyler. Yeah, like me, absolutely. Tyler. That's, Just that's, like that's Tyler. Why I, that's, that's why I have a thousand watts. <laughs> yeah. Not the 750. Or so you've 1500. got. Huh? I might have, might have to come up with a 1500 for you. I'm not sure. Yeah, you might have to, man. I um, yeah, I I was really impressed by it because I mean we played with it for a few hours before we, um, before we went hunting, and I I think we got it up to like twenty eight miles an hour or something, which is a really terrifying speed for a, a mid thirty year old that hasn't ridden a bike in quite a while, and um, that's uh, pretty fast and um. Man, I was impressed by it. It's, it's a great product. I can tell you you've done a lot of refining to it. Um, this is something that's relatively new to me specifically. Like, I, I, I don't remember seeing them very much last year. Um, I may have seen one or two. Now I feel like I can't make a hunt somewhere without seeing at least two or three. Um, and if I don't physically see them, then I'll see – the little um, uh, bike holder hitch receiver uh, on the back of trucks at the, the parking lot or something. Um, and I can tell that they're really gaining popularity. Um, what do you think is the, the catalyst behind that in the South for people? I know you said that you originally had an older customer base um, that was using it more for um not handicap reasons, that's a bad way to put it, but more of like mobility assistance. Whereas now, are, are you seeing people adopt them just because of time saving and like a strategy? I think that it's come full circle. So really like two years ago, it was, I think the, a lot of people looked at them and kind of just pushed them off. They'd see them in different locations or see them on an advertisement that kind of just pushed it off. But when you actually physically use one and kind of grasp the concept of how it can help you, how it can be an advantage for you. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a big bow hunter, big, you know, like to a beer, but I'm also a big turkey hunter. So uh, it's probably, even though I have to try to disguise this when I'm selling these products during the deer season, it's the biggest advantage you can get for turkey hunting. Uh, it just, to you know, when you're, you know, typically in a whitetail hunt, you go to a particular site that you're going to hunt, you go there and you come out. As we know, when you're turkey hunting, it can be 8, 10, 12, 15 miles in a day, uh, depending on what size property you have. But even if you have two or three, 400 acres, you can run all over that place all day. 
try to get the right setup or when you get there and they're roosting on the other end of the property, those kind of things. So that's been a huge advantage. I think the younger generation uh, is probably the ones that are maybe a little more proactive in hunting some of the public lands and some of the bigger lands, and they've found out the same thing. You can get in there, regardless if you're in shape and physically fit, that you can go back in there. If you go back in there and you've you've sweat for two hours going in there, your chances of success for big boy are diminished. So, you know, I can I can tell you. So last year, a friend of mine and I <clears throat> hunted opening day in Mississippi, October first. As I was driving up to my property, and I'm in central Mississippi here, uh, it said a hundred degrees in my truck. It was a hundred. Uh, it was not good. He went in with his Ranger, you know, his Polaris, took it in there, stopped, you know, and, and the place that we hunt with all the guys that we hunt with, one of the rules is you can't go past, you know, your stopping point with motorized. So he had to walk in 700 yards, uh, and he was sweating to death. Well, with the bike, I rode all the way to the stand, got off, grabbed a you know, piece of a limb or something, threw it over the top of it, climbed up the stand, and I wasn't sweating at all. And uh, it's it's a major advantage. Uh, just something, a little simple concept like that, but it's a major advantage. Uh, and, you so know, checking you, cameras, everything. So are, are you seeing, from your customers buying them, are you seeing people use these in conjunction with four-wheelers and side-by-sides, or are you seeing them leave the leave the ATVs and the UTVs at home and adopt this when they're hunting solo or going somewhere where they want to ride all the way to the state. How, what's, what's happening there? Well, I mean, from a, from a trophy hunter's aspect, and that's kind of really my mindset. I'm sure a lot of people focus on hunting trophies. So we, you know, I might go literally 60 hunts before I actually am successful with the one I want to get. Um, so, like I tell these guys, I'm not trying to replace the UTV. I'm not trying to replace the four-wheelers, the trucks, and all that stuff. They serve a good purpose. But those 59 times that you go before then, take the bike in there. Because gonna, you're going to cut down your scent, your noise. It's going to be less pressure getting in and out. It might end up being 39 times instead of 59 times because you did that. So. That's really the, yeah. the big advantage, and that's what people are doing. I mean, you still, at the end of the day, if you've got a 225-pound buck down at the bottom of a ravine, you're going to need something else to help get it out of there. And we're not we're not trying to, you know, solve that problem. It's the it's the being successful problem that we're trying to solve. Sure. Yeah, you're you're never going to be a, a heavy hauler. You're more of a get in, get out quick. Uh, type you know un un undisturbing yeah, not way. educating them. Type. Yeah. Not educating now, um, say that again. Just not educating your species that you're there, and especially with deer, of course, using their their nose and all that. But um, it, it's been a huge advantage. Um, now, as far as accessories go with them, what what other items can you buy with a bike to kind of help you carry a load or um, pack a deer out? So we've got um, the, the new models that we produced this year. We put a, a rear rack on there. 
increase the fenders and stuff to kind of cut down on the mud that slings up. Um, but we've also got a scabbard that'll hook on there that you could put a, a bow, a gun, fishing poles, whatever you might want to carry. Um, there's a trailer. We actually, um, there's a company called Montana Scabbards that we use. He's a small business, which we highly promote. It makes the scabbards for me. Burley makes the trailers that hook to mine, and uh, they've got ones that carry anywhere from 60 to about 150 pounds on the capacity of it. So uh, as far as pulling stands and all that in there. So, I mean, really when it boils down to it, there's hundreds of aftermarket accessories and other accessories that fit on a traditional mountain bike that'll fit on these bikes also. So yeah, I don't have much experience. Well, I don't have any personal experience. I've have been in camp with guys that were using them um, before. But as far as like in your research and development and field testing and all that kind of thing, um, talking specifically about your larger accessories and your more heavyweight accessories, what what kind of difference? Are, I guess a uh, better way to say it, just plainly. How strenuous is it on the battery if you are – because coming from my perspective, I'm a guy that tends to be the exact polar opposite of a minimalist. So like, Mm -hmm. if if I'm the guy that's that's hauling in camera equipment and a stand and stuff like that, you know, what what is – what's the deal there on on battery uh, life for for hauling more of a load? So – I use a, a Samsung lithium-ion battery. Uh, the, the current model I have has a 14-amp-hour battery in it. The range could vary uh, as high as probably 50 miles per range to as low as probably 12. So um, if you have that excess weight and you have, you know, whether you're up and down heavy terrain, you're in mud, you're pulling a lot of stuff, it can be as little as 12 or 15 miles on your range, but in most cases, and probably for what we're doing here, 99% of the time, it's you know maybe three or five miles that anybody's doing anything. Uh, so that that 15 mile range, and it's and a lot of that can come from experience. Also, the bike's going to be consistent with performing, with how you you know what you put what conditions you put it under. So you'll know if I'm wearing my, you know, my climbing stand and I've got my backpack back there and I'm pulling the trailer back there and I have this much weight, you'll know your range. I mean, it won't take you very long to figure that out. Just one day you'll know, okay, I go eight miles in and eight miles out, no problem. So um, it's built, you know, and one of the things I think that we'll do next and I'm working on already is a little bit larger. 17 amp hour, 21 amp hour, 24 amp hour batteries. Uh, you know, the battery stuff, the lithium ion batteries and all batteries in general with the electric vehicles and electric bikes is a technology. And technology, as you know, with computers in the past, continually advances daily. Gets a little bit better, a little bit quicker, a little bit smaller, uh, a little bit more efficient. And as we progress in the years, you'll see the ranges, the speeds, the access even increasing even more for the same bike. So uh, I'm looking forward to that because I'm not personally involved in, I'm not the brain behind all that development aspect of it, but 
they're doing it for me, so that's good. So what do you what do you see in? Uh, I, I mean, I guess we didn't really ask exactly how old the company is, but just in all of your testing, and what are you seeing in battery life in terms of, you know, I don't know how you'd gauge it, how many charges, how many years. I mean, I, and I know that that varies, but I guess I'm just speaking on a median yep. a median amount of usage. So our product is rated at like ten thousand cycles which means 10,000 actual full charges. So it's pretty extensive. Um, it's years and years of battery life. And it's, you know, and, and this all depends on how somebody takes care of their equipment. And, you know, there's people that take care of things differently. But as long as you, you know, take care of your product and clean it and keep things, the maintenance aspect of it, uh, it's got, you know, eight, 10-year-plus life on a battery. Yeah, that's great compared to, I, th- I think, I think that many people that are listening, I know if, mm-hmm. if they're like me, they're kind of comparing <laughs> a lot of this conversation to, yeah, I would say like over the last decade or maybe a little bit longer, we have seen this tremendous shift towards people attempting to modify and do a lot of different things with electric golf carts for a lot of the same reasons, the quiet um, mm-hmm. access, the you know, the advantages that you have by accessing in and out throughout the season on a quiet, you know, to your, you, you mentioned no, no exhaust fumes from a scent perspective and all that kind of thing. So, you know, one of the challenges I know of personally from using and, and sharing camp and stuff with different people that have different configurations of electric golf carts and electric UTVs and stuff is, you know, the batteries and changing out the batteries and maintaining the batteries and stuff like that. I would guess that with the with the bike, you just have one battery, correct? It's just one battery pack? That's, yeah, that's correct. And, and, and it's a whole lot different. I mean, you're talking about when you get into, the, say, an electric golf cart aspect of it, you're talking about six, seven, eight hundred pounds that these batteries are pushing. So there's a lot more a lot more strain and resistance on these batteries on a daily basis than what you're talking about with a bike. The bikes developed, uh, you know, they are, they are developed also as a pedal assist. So all these bikes have, whether you hit a throttle that's on the handlebar or you start pedaling, it's going to, it's going to take off. So if you have, if you know that you're going on a, a longer range that day, so you're going 30, 40 miles or something, the more that you help it pedal as you're going, the less that it's going to draw that battery. Um, so those are, there's some ways that you can bring that to your advantage also if you're concerned about the range. But uh, from where I market them throughout the southeast, I've yet to have anybody worry about the range. It's just not, it's just not there because it's we hunt smaller properties compared to like South Texas or some of the huge ranches out there. So. Yeah. Is there any um, is there any technology or advancements in the uh, in the engineering of these things that would maybe get to a place, or maybe this already exists and I don't even know it, so if it does, pardon my ignorance. But like yes. a, a system that that trickle charges as you pedal, or or somehow adds life back into the battery at with with the pedaling, or I don't know how it works. So I'm just wondering if that's something that's on the horizon or something that's already being done, or I think it's called power regeneration. 
Yeah, there there is um, some models out there that that do that when you're actually when you're idling or pedaling or stuff. They actually, I mean, it's it would be similar to a concept of an alternator, or um, it help kind of recharge the battery or take the, the strain off the battery. Uh, I think it's in its infancy right now, honestly, as far as. Um, but like I said, I, I really even where we sit today, 99% of the people that purchase my product have zero issues with their range. None. Uh, yeah. We have a trickle charger that you put on it. So one of the things that I ask them to do is, you know, when you're not using this, keep it plugged up. And that's the way it's, it's supposed to be. Just like you would have, a, like say you had a golf cart at the house, you'd keep it plugged up. Once it reaches full charge, it'll just kind of, It'll it'll recharge it as it drops below, and uh, if you do that every time you go out in the field, and you've got a full charge on your bike, you're going to have zero issues. Cool. Well, as as far as um, as far as access and legality of them go, um, I know a lot of people in the South are um, able to take these. Pretty much, I think the regulation says anywhere you can take a regular bike, which in a lot of properties and NWRs and even some WMAs, is anywhere that you can walk. Um, so I, I think that I think right now in some places it's written to where you can take them pretty much to your stand on public land if you so choose to or you're able to. Um, do you know any specifics about the legality of them in Louisiana? Honestly, I don't. I'm familiar with the federal guidelines, and I'm familiar with a few of the states, including Mississippi. Honestly, I don't know about Louisiana. Um, I do have some dealers that sell bikes in Louisiana and have sold many of them over there, Um, but I'm not familiar exactly with all the state limits. Obviously, I need to do some more research on that, or I need to put somebody on it. So. Well, um, where which dealers do you have in Louisiana? I've got um, TP Outdoors in West Monroe and Monroe. Uh, I've got a few other ones that I've actually we've been working on over the last week or so to get set up in Baton Rouge uh, area. And most of everything, and this is kind of back to one of the questions you had originally or one of the statements you had originally, uh, as far as the growth of the market, a lot of these companies, including myself, kind of have, they started in their core area and you've slowly started to grow outward. And that's the same thing that's happened with some of these other companies out there that have been successful in the e-bike market. They're in other states, Oregon, North Dakota, you know, Utah, all that kind of stuff. So they've had a pretty good saturation of or I guess a, a lot, a lot more people knowing about the market in those areas that they've grown up. And this year we're going to expand. You know, we're we're in four states now. Hope to expand about eight states and have hundred plus dealers uh, by the end of next year. Um, nice. So that's where we're going. Very nice. Well, um, what? So talk to us about the um, the the specific models that you have. Um, you have three models, is that correct? That's correct. 
So what? So tell us, tell them. us about the three of them. So we, the original model was it's called a Predator Prey. Uh, it's more of a, I would call it sports model. Um, it doesn't have the rear racks. Um, it's got the same rear hub motor, 750 watt motor. It's got a 11.6 amp hour Samsung battery. It's got a twist throttle. It can still do the 25 mile per hour. Um, and it's, uh, it's at a good price point. That was kind of the original model that I brought to market. This year's model is called a Talon and a Talon X. So the Talon's a 750 watt and the Talon X is a 1000 watt. Uh, both of them have a 14 amp hour Samsung lithium ion battery. Um, they've got a little more range in the 750 and then a little more power and torque in the 1000 watt. Um, and it just, the, the difference would probably be, it's a little difference in price point. The 1000 watt motor is a little more expensive, but it really depends on what the person's using it for. The ones that are concerned about the load uh, would probably lean towards the 1,000 watt. The ones that want more range would probably lean towards the 750. Um, mm-hmm. Also, in our state and the other states that have passed allowing the e-bikes to go on, say, the public lands or even the federal lands, the 750, 750 watt is the one that's written in the regulations. So it's not supposed to exceed 750 watts, um, and it's supposed to be a pedal assist bike, which all of ours are. So, what's the what do you what in your opinion, or maybe you know factually, what's the reason for that? Like, what's the reason for for saying you can't have a thousand watt motor, but you can have a 750 watt motor? I, I honestly don't know why they did it but i assume that they had to put something there and the 750 was really the most popular at that time and it, it it performs well enough to do pretty much everything you need to on those it gives you the range it gives you the power um i'm, I'm assuming they just wanted to limit it so if people get and i've already seen some that have like 3000 watt motors and stuff which i think is probably a little in excess. So I assume that they probably wanted to keep it where they didn't have 90 mile mile an hour e bikes running through their properties all over. I guess all over the United States. Or something. Yeah. that's what I said. Closing a loophole, maybe I guess for somebody to, I guess to so, build yeah. some kind of custom rig that was more than what was right. intended to be allowed. Right. Yeah, and I think the, the biggest thing that they, when they actually looked at it and when they approved it, even on, I know on a state level because I worked with them with it, but on the federal level, it was, you know, it's not doing, it's not doing any damage. I mean, it's not, it's not any different than riding a bike or a footprint going through there. It's definitely not anywhere near what an ATV or a UTV or a, a truck would do if they were to ride through there. And I think that's what they, that was the ultimate decision is this, this has little footprint hmm. on our, our federal or public lands. I got you. Very cool. Well, um, so you you say you all are expanding. You're in in Mississippi. You're expanding outwards. Um, you're trying to. Your goal is a hundred dealers next year. Um, when mm-hmm. when um, COVID hit this year, did that have an effect on? 
kind of how many bikes you had you manufactured and brought in for this season? Well, honestly, it didn't it didn't affect my production because we'd already been in production before everything started, so we were kind of in the midst of it. Um, there have been some sourcing issues in the last few months as far as putting together some of our next production items. Um, some of the companies are a little bit behind, and that's pretty standard across every industry right now. But one of the things that we noticed, which was great, uh, the outdoor industry as a whole just blew up. I mean, everybody was getting outside. You know, So this really kicked off you know, as far as the COVID and the lockdowns and all the stuff that took place really kicked off for us here um, in, in this region was really during turkey season. And uh, I think, I mean, we we it, we noticed an, an uptick instantly that people were, you know, I think, you know, even in my place that I've got, I've got, we've got 20 people in, in our land. And, you know, last year, four of them turkey hunted. This year, 25 of them did out of 20. So <laughs> they all hunted. Wow, that, I don't know. If that, that was that was a great thing. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Depending on how you look at it, it wasn't depends for that on, part of it. Depends no. on whether or not you're a turkey. It was for the bike industry, the e-bike industry, but it wasn't for the uh, myself having access to a turkey. They got educated quick. Yeah, so. I definitely could can can see where that is a major major asset. For a turkey mm-hmm. Locke is a Locke's a huge turkey hunter. Locke is a um, Locke pretends to like deer hunting until turkey season kicks off. Uh, he's a he's yeah. a, he, if if he could um, if he could uh, if turkey was a scent he would buy a cologne in it in in body wash. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's well, a, I, can a you, I can tell you like several of the guys that I sold to early season last year uh, for, for turkey hunting. The very next day, they sent me pictures with them and the bike and the bird. And it, it, whether it was a coincidence or they just were that good or they knew they were on them, <laughs> I, had several, I had several of them call me and say, man, let me just tell you what happened. So I went set up on a bird over here. He kind of hung up at about 80 yards, took off with some hens and went this direction. I knew where he was going. I hopped on the bike, I skirted around him, set up again, and I was successful in taking him out. He said, I never would have been able to do that without this bike. And I've had two guys in particular do that. And that was that was pretty cool to hear that because you really couldn't. You can't run around them, you know, without falling out. He got on the bike, scooted around, he was silent, got over there, set up, knowing exactly where it was going to be because he knew his land. And was successful in the hunt because of the bike, and that's an awesome story. Well, how many have you had any customer reviews on people that have attributed deer hunting success to their ability to access and you know just in in all the things oh, yeah. we've mentioned? Just hey, I I don't feel like I could have definitely you know really got on this deer. So the, the same buddy I mentioned earlier, you know, hunted last year opening day. Uh, I would go in on my e-bike. He would go in on his uh, his Polaris. Uh, he'd take his UTV in there. He finally he was he was on a deer. Had him on camera. Was coming in. He'd run his Polaris in four or five hundred yards away from it. He'd go to the stand, 
And as soon as he left the stand, within 20 minutes, a deer would show up on camera. He had a you know, cell camera. Uh, I said, take my bike in there. I said, he, he knows you're going in there. I said, first day he took it in there, he shot the deer. So Wow, that's pretty. I don't know. That's a pretty solid testimony. I don't know. Right there. Well, it's it's a good testimony. He's and he's written it down for me. I mean, it, it got him his biggest year of the year for sure. Uh, but instantly, like that, I had two buddies I did that for last year. I said, take one of these bikes in there, and uh, whether they were used to hearing the noise and they kind of knew, okay, he's here. Whatever they're thinking, I mean, we we may or may not give them a little bit more credit than they should, but. He was successful the very first time, so um, I'd say it's a success story for me. So it sounds like it to me. I could think of. Yeah. I, I've got a lot. You know, I I hunt a property. Um. That well, it's the property here in Louisiana, and and the majority of our kind of open hardwoods that I spend most of my time bow hunting in are in the back of the place and the rest of it is probably five or six year old uh cut over clear cut that's been reforested with pine so it's thick i mean very very thick mm-hmm. and you know it just mm-hmm. kind of stands to reason the other side of the property is 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 uh there, it's not like they're the we have the majority of the bedding it's, it's, it's theoretically anyway um and you know the only way to get back there is to drive through the cutover and access roads and then walk into the, the timber and you, you kind of always have it in your mind. Are the deer bedding right in here? Are they accessing this timber from these bedding areas, these hundreds of acres of thickets that I'm driving through, you know? And so it's always in the back of your mind. So I would be, I'd be interested myself to see how much difference oh, exactly is activity. <laughs> you know, if you could. we got to be better than there. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to document to me. Like, I'm 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 kind of a a data mining nerd in that in that Mm -hmm. regard more so than I am a deer killer. Truthfully, because that that's kind of the stuff that I like about deer hunting is is the process and all that kind of stuff. And it'd be really interesting to me to take like say six six hunts with similar conditions and drive into an Mm -hmm. area three times on a utv and then drive into an area three times on an e-bike and access the same stand and, and just document you know the best you could what kind of deer activity differences you saw in between the, those hunts yeah i think it would be i think you'd have a huge huge advantage so i, I do know that you know in our state you can put out corn and feed and rice bran, those kind of things. And pre-season, he was using that, his UTV to go in there and do that side by side. So he was going in there doing that. And I think the deer knew he was coming in, knew he was feeding, and they would come out later and feed and everything. And the, the very first day he didn't go in there to do that, he was successful. So um, they definitely associated with human activity and scent and all that stuff. Yeah. So. Uh, if you you know, like I was I mentioned earlier, uh, everything that we purchase, whether it's a apparel product or a scent product or something to wash your clothes in or anything, is for us trying to gain an advantage. I mean these these animals have the ultimate ability to survive, and you know they're not in a hurry. Uh, 
they, they're, they're there to survive. They have survival on their minds. So everything we can do to try to gain advantage uh, is what we're looking for. That's what, that's what all these new products do anyway. They try to solve that problem. And I think that's what Absolutely. e-bikes do for yeah. sure. So, I mean, one of the things that we absolutely have to do in this conversation is we, we have to have Kyler explain to us how his, his experience with one of your bikes went because we just yeah. have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I, well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this story in saying that it was 100% user error and inexperience. And, um, it also landed me the asshole of the year award. Um, and it also set me back about 10 years in adulthood as far as like <clears throat> just general responsibility goes. And, uh, anyway, I, I borrowed one and went to go pull some cameras off of a piece of public land, um, in an area that was way, way back there. And when I hung these cameras, um, I went in by four wheeler and then across a long, big swamp, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I went to go pull them out, because I wasn't getting um, the activity on them that I thought I would after about a month, I, I ended up borrowing uh, a bike and <clears throat> got stuck in a rut on top of a levee and crashed like a seven-year-old and thought I broke my wrist. And uh, Anyway, it was quite an embarrassing thing that it was it, – it, in hindsight, I, I, have you ever done anything where you're like, "Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not an adult anymore. I don't, I don't belong. I don't, I don't deserve this, this so, adult uh, status yeah. anymore." So, for for so. people that are listening, you you need to imagine a larger than average human riding a bicycle <laughs> at night, <laughs> at yeah. night that he borrowed from somebody else who was depending on said bicycle oh, for their man. following yeah. day hunt. And then imagine him going into a rut and falling flat upon his face. And I thought, I mean, I thought I, bro- I thought I broke my leg. I thought I broke my arm. It's not, obviously not a great, not a great uh, adder to the story of, of e-bikes, but it was, I, it, it happened so fast, man. Um, this, the rut that I fell into, I was, I was on dry ground and the rut was very, very old, but, but very like sharp and deep. Um, and the rut went to the left and I was trying to go straight and the bike went left and I kept going straight. Um, and, uh, anyway, I, I just mm-hmm. felt like a, a jackass through and through, but, but the, the, the thing that bothered me, the, it still bothers me the most about it is that I am a, a, an extremely trustworthy person. Okay, like if you if you let me borrow your fishing camp in Delacroix, I'm not going to burn it down. You know, you're going to come back. It's going to be cleaner than than when when I got there. You know, if you let me borrow your truck for some reason, ain't going to be a problem. Um, and I, I'm and because of that. I also let borrow people borrow my stuff all the time, my four wheeler or my camp or whatever it is that that they need or want i mean i i'm not protective over those things and so um of course the one time i borrow an e-bike for like 45 minutes i crash it and and uh ended up ended up um uh, the, the the chain derailed and 
Um, and I just, I couldn't fix it where I was and had to, had to walk it 2.59 miles back to the truck at night. Wasn't very (laughs) excited about it. It's very, I've, I don't, I think I've apologized to Matt about 11 times now just for, just because I still feel like such an idiot, but not very frequently. I, I can't remember the last time that I broke anything, much less somebody else's something, you know? Right. So, well, I tell you, it brings and, up a good point. And one of the misconceptions that people have when they think of an electric bike is that it's, you know, just a little bit more than a mountain bike. Um, the people that have had these and use them, on, you, you do have to respect them. They do have power. They do have a throttle. Yes. And they will, I mean, just like you're talking about, you know, 25 miles an hour on a bike, you got to respect them. So they're exclusively built for off-road conditions, not for on-road. Uh, you're typically maybe 8, 9, 10 miles an hour is what you're doing when you're in an off-road situation. The 25-mile-an-hour top end rarely gets seen. It shouldn't get seen. Uh, it's mm-hmm. there just as a, a side product of what the bike can produce based on the capacity of the motor and the engine, I mean, and the, and the battery, but... Uh, there are some misconceptions, and I've had people that have tested on and, um, you know, found out quickly that there's a lot more power to these things than, than you think. So, Absolutely. Um, uh, and and they've got, it's got f- fantastic suspension and the really big Kenda fat tires. So, I mean, they, they handle very well, you know, just to be a little more clear as to what happened to me it, it wasn't like i was just driving and, and just fell over i was i was on a um kind of a a, a, a levee top beside a, a retention pond and i was going through like a foot and a half tall of grass and i wasn't going that fast I, I wasn't going fast at all to be honest with you i wasn't going any more than eight or ten miles an hour but when that tire fell in the rut and that rut went to the left. I just couldn't compensate that quickly with my weight, and down down went uh, down went me. So it happens, but I'm fine. Yeah. I'm good. Just the only thing that's scarred is my pride. Well, I I think that um, I I I feel like this is there's so many things that hit the market for hunters these days that. There, the attempt in marketing is to to make them very broad, and that, and that's obvious because when somebody invests in something, they want to sell things, and and um, oftentimes they're I, I'm trying to stay away from from calling things gimmicky, but they kind of are, and but but I think with the e-bike thing, you know, we've mentioned turkey hunting and we've mentioned scouting and and obviously bow hunting, uh, you know, as as our topic here, but I, I think that. This is the this is a uh something that's kind of here to stay. I mean, I, there is such a uh a, a decisive advantage in what this thing can do if it's something that you need and um obviously something that that has a lot of multi-use to it. So, I and and then having a, a, someone in the south that that's a, a southern company, I I think it's uh I'm pretty interested in it. Speaking of my interest, something I haven't haven't yeah. spent a lot of time paying a lot of attention to but uh i think it's i think they're a cool thing man how, so tell us we haven't well, said this exactly how, exa- how long have you been in business 
So about three and a half years. Um, and like I said, I spent about the first year and a half actually testing and building and changing and kind of getting the product right. And I was, I was more concerned about bringing out a quality product than I was just selling a million units. Um, I wanted to do it right. My cell phone is on my website to this day. So if you have a problem and you call that number, it goes directly to my cell phone, and that's the way I want it. Yeah. If somebody has a problem with any of my bikes, I want to know right away, and I want to handle it. Uh, fortunately, I don't get many calls, but my cell phone's going to stay on there, and it will as long as I own this company. Uh, you'll call my direct number. Regardless if I get, I hope I get, you know, big and all that and everything, but I always have my cell phone there. I want to know everything that's going on with this. Uh, one of the things also we didn't mention, one of the big markets is also is people that have had a knee surgery or have had a, you know, broken ankle or had something in the past, some kind of a, uh, some kind of a disability, I guess, that would allow them or would not allow them to travel to a deer stand or to cover eight or ten miles in a turkey hunt. That's been another thing that we've been real successful with is some of these people purchasing this that, uh, you know, grew up riding bicycles and are very familiar with it, and this has allowed them to get back out there and do what they love. So that's yeah. one of the things that's really uh, rewarding for us also. Cool. So what's the uh, what, what are all the ways that, that people can research your company and your website and and you know see what all you have to offer and get in touch and all that so it's uh predatorbikes.com you can go on there we've got quite a bit of information on there Uh, if you go on there and look for the dealers that we have all the multiple dealers are listed on there i encourage you to go by and see one of them and uh, most every one of them has a demo bike that, they, that we put in there for them to let people come try it, see it. and That's that's the biggest thing. Once somebody gets on it and tries it and, and kind of grasps the concept of how this could be a huge advantage for them, those are the ones that purchase it. Um, and it's, uh, uh, we, hope that, we hope that everybody, regardless of your age and what your sport and what your what game you're approaching, would try this out and see the big advantage it can offer you. Um, Very cool. Kyler, I mean, you got any more questions, uh, Kyler? No, I'm good to go. I, I mean, we asked a lot. He answered a lot. I, I, I think we're going to see these things grow and become more commonplace on public land and even, even on, um, you know, leases and deer clubs and whatnot just for, quiet approach and and like you said you're staying stealthy and not educating deer so yeah, it's a, i think it's, it's going to be interesting big, to see how they uh expand in the future yeah it's such a big part of bow hunting and i mean this being a, a bow hunting podcast uh, you know it's, it's so very applicable because one of the biggest hurdles that that we have is that approach i mean you know you got to get close and to get close you got to be undetected so um i i think my 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 final um, my final thing to say about it is uh, I, 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 I'm someone that, that likes to kind of compare everything against trends. And I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the electric golf cart trend has, you know, it got really, really popular. And a lot of people um, 
kind of jumped on that to your point kyler even in the private sector where you know you're hunting private property but the the the, the game is still the same um you know you may not be going as far but you're still trying to go undetected as much as possible so if yeah. the trends that we if the trends that we've seen with people modifying electric golf carts are any indication i think that this is going to continue to be uh to your point continue to be something that grows and becomes more and more and, and so it's awesome to 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 hear about somebody doing it down here in our neck of the woods and we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share a little bit more in-depth information about them and about your product in specific and and hope people will go out and check it out and find some success yeah. you know use it as a yeah strategy. i appreciate y'all having me on here and let me kind of explain you know the concept of this behind this and uh, i feel certain that it's going to continue to grow and that people as they use them and test them and have friends that get them and just see how they can really apply them to their how they hunt uh i think it'll it'll get even more and more popular it's an, you know another thing also is that it's a lot less impact on a piece of land if you think mm-hmm. about what a you know a utv or a four-wheelers or trucks or whatever you know starts off in october going back and forth to land you know to hunt or whatever by the end of the year the end of the hunting season it's I mean, you got seven foot holes with water in them and stuff. You're mm-hmm. not getting any of that with this. Um, you can. So it's, it, there's a lot of advantages, um, and uh, we just hope somebody maybe give it a try, check it out. Uh, it, you know, just see one of my dealers, get them one. Awesome. Well, yeah. before we jump off of here, remind you again all the new products that we have with Louisiana Bowhunter this season. Christmas is coming up. Great stocking stuffers. Great gift ideas in general. So uh, one of your local retailers will have lots of stuff for you to look at. And if you are not near one of the stores that carries our stuff, LouisianaBowhunter.com. So check that out. Try to get that Christmas list filled out. And uh, thanks again to you, Matt and Kyler. I'm going hunting in the morning. I don't know about you, but hopefully tomorrow is the day. I, 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 that Louisiana tag is burning a hole in my pocket. So You think so, huh? I don't know. I don't know so. I just think that I've got the right wind for the set that I mentioned in the intro. I've got the right wind. And I will say, uh, I guess one thing that I left out of that is I came home from Mississippi Saturday night, and I had all the intentions in the world of getting up and hunting until about 9 or 9.30 and time to get down and go get dressed for church and go to church with the family and not only did i not get up and go hunting i didn't even get up in time to go to church so yeah it was i was really tired my wife i got up my wife was like you seemed like you needed to sleep so i just didn't wake you up so i slept later in a long time but moral of the story is when i i I got up mid-morning and i went and did all the things that we're talking about there was a shooter eight point right in front of the stand that i had planned to hunt at 8 30 yep so it happens, Which is how man. it happens. So, well, if you if you um, I I've I've realized this a few years ago. If there, if you really are dreading, dreading waking up, getting out of bed, taking a shower, getting dressed, making the drive, that's the morning you have to go. Like, I know. And and and, and I don't mean you. I mean just in general. Oh, I know. Um, because because the um. The day that uh, the day that I, I killed um, 
my big buck uh, up in Area 6 back in 2017, I like I did not want to wake up that day. I didn't want to go. I was just over it. It was the, it was two days before the end of the season, and I was just in F this mode. I was only going out of principle and ended up shooting that buck. But to add to add to my story from earlier, I haven't said this to any really anybody yet. Um, I had I had negative confidence in my set on the ground that day. Zero. Absolutely zero. I was like, what are you doing? It's a waste of time. You're an idiot. You, you know, they're going to see you. You stick out like a sore thumb, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and sure enough, saw three deer within 40 yards and one of the best hunts and most eventful hunts of my life. And so it all, yeah. it all changes in I, a second. I don't There's know. Really... I don't know what it is. Like, obviously it's not logic based, but I do believe there's something to the whole, like, maybe it's cliche or what, but the whole f- idea that things always happen at the most unexpected times and, and like, to kind of come at that the other direction, when you go somewhere and you are just convinced that you've got it figured out, that's not... Nothing it happens. never happens. Nothing. It never happens. It's no. always, it seems to always be that day to your point whether it's a struggle to get there or whether you're just not feeling it once you do that's you know it it all and maybe it's just because the adrenaline rush always kind of parallels the the the, like the the general emotion of a surprise or or what it is but it's always the days where you're like eh i don't know i mean i say that and i mean obviously there's an exception to every rule and 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 i've killed deer where I, I felt like I had it figured out, but just generally by by majority, it just seems like when you're just like, you know what, I just I need to go, and uh, I don't really know, you know, I don't really mm-hmm. expect it. That's when it happens. So. Yep. Anyway. Well, Matt, we appreciate you joining us tonight, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Well, good luck this season, and y'all go check out Predator Bikes and. Check out Louisiana Bow Hunter, Relentless Boats, Greek Gear, all the stuff we talk about. And thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bow Hunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.